The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'm bringing you the conclusion of the case of Victoria Martins in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Let's get right to it. Let's pick up right back where we left off last week with Fabian Gonzalez's trial. He was facing charges of reckless abuse of a child resulting in death, tampering with evidence, and conspiracy to commit tampering with evidence. In its opening statement, the prosecution walked the jury through much of the timeline that we went over in the last episode, highlighting the fact that prior to the defendant, Fabian Gonzalez, and his cousin, Jessica Kelly, moving into Michelle Martin's apartment, Life for Victoria, her brother, and their mom, Michelle Martins, had been pretty normal. Michelle was just an average single mom working at the local grocery store, and Victoria Martins was happy and appeared to be well taken care of. There were photo collages of Michelle and the kids hanging in the apartment showing the family in happier times. They celebrated holidays with Michelle's parents and Victoria and her little brother frequently played with the other children who lived in the apartment complex. In fact, there was a celebration planned for Victoria's 10th birthday, which would have been held the day after her murder on August 24th. Victoria was so excited for that birthday celebration, she had invited nearly the entire neighborhood. She was finally 10. In the hours before her murder, she had told anyone she ran into, all about the new kitten she had got for her birthday and how she was really hoping to get a new American Girl doll. Of course, Victoria would never get that big birthday celebration or unwrap that brand new doll because she was strangled to death on her 10th birthday. Victoria's happy-go-lucky childhood had ended and it had ended weeks before someone entered her bedroom. In fact, life as Victoria knew it had changed the moment her mother, Michelle, met Fabian Gonzalez. Fabian had taken advantage of Michelle, and his lifestyle had transformed her from an attentive mother to a neglectful one. 
According to court testimony, Fabian didn't have a job or a car, and prior to meeting Michelle, had been couch surfing with friends and family. As soon as Michelle Martins allowed him to move in, he had made himself real comfortable real fast. With Fabian there, apartment 808 became a dangerous place, where meth was smoked in the bathrooms feet away from the children's bedrooms. People came and went all hours of the night, there was loud music, and little concern for Victoria and her brother. And once Fabian moved his cousin Jessica Kelly in, things had gone from bad to worse. Six days after Jessica Kelly moved into the apartment, Victoria Martins was dead, murdered in her own bedroom. The state said they were going to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that although Fabian Gonzalez wasn't present in the apartment when Victoria had been murdered, he was responsible for her death because he created a danger that resulted in her murder and then assisted Jessica Kelly in cleaning up the crime scene. And as far as Jessica Kelly, she had been high on meth and paranoid pretty much since the day she had been released from prison, and especially on the day Victoria was murdered. And Fabian Gonzalez knew this. He himself had done meth with Jessica. Yet he encouraged Michelle Martins to leave her 10-year-old daughter in her care, even after he had been warned that Jessica had been acting strange. In its opening, the defense pointed the finger squarely at Jessica Kelly. She was the one in the apartment that night. The attorney claimed that Michelle and Fabian had never left Victoria with Jessica. In fact, Victoria was left there riding her scooter in the apartment complex and that the pair didn't expect to be gone as long as they were. They theorized that Jessica Kelly had acted completely alone, and she was the one who actually strangled Victoria. The attorney stated that her plan was both simple and crazy. She knew after she had murdered Victoria, she had to dispose of her body, because she didn't want to go back to prison. Not only had she acted alone in killing Victoria, but also in the attempted disposal of her body. But all that cleanup was taking longer than she anticipated, so she enacted Plan B, which was to murder everybody inside the apartment. She took Michelle and Fabian's phones and wallets, attacked them, and planned on burning it all to the ground. But Fabian intervened. That was their story, and Fabian's defense team was confident that they could prove it. The state's first witnesses were the officers that responded to what was initially called in as a domestic assault. They walked the jury through every moment, arriving on scene at the neighbor's apartment and speaking to Michelle Martins, as she told them she had been attacked by Jessica Kelly and her daughter was still in the apartment. Learning that a child might have been in danger, the officers rushed to apartment 808, where Jessica Kelly slammed the door in their faces and told them, quote, I didn't do nothing. She then ran through the apartment and jumped off the balcony. Smoke detectors began to ring out as officers cleared the apartment room by room, turning off the burners on the stove, which were turned on all the way up in an attempt to burn the apartment down. Eventually, they discovered Victoria's body, partially dismembered and on fire in the bathtub. And then, of course, as officers spoke to the three suspects, each one of them told a different story. Michelle Martins made that shocking confession that she had not only witnessed the rape and murder of her child, 
she had been selling her online to men. That had set the investigation off in the wrong direction. That was until the case was given a second look, and it was revealed that there was zero evidence to prove any of it. Fabian claimed he and Michelle Martins had nothing to do with Victoria's murder, and first denied knowing anything about it, but later said that he had witnessed Jessica cutting up Victoria's body. And then there was Jessica herself, who initially lawyered up and refused to speak, but now was claiming that an unidentified man had walked in and killed Victoria. Through testimony, the prosecution pointed out that this was something she had hinted to all the way from the beginning. She had told the three officers that confronted her after she jumped off the balcony that she had been pushed and a man she referred to as Lakote had been inside the apartment cleaning up blood before he panicked and left. But who was Lakote? Was it a street name? And where was he now? Apparently, Jessica Kelly didn't know, or if she did, she never told. Investigators tried to find this Lakote character, but all they learned was that Lakote was slang for crazy. Jessica Kelly's story was about to change again, this time live and in front of the jury, because she was the prosecution's next witness. She was sworn in and took the stand. And before her testimony even began, she was already crying big old crocodile tears. But not for the reason you might think. Her tears weren't for Victoria, but for her cousin Fabian. You see, she loved Fabian. They had been raised together and she had lived with him on and off throughout her childhood. Her tears weren't for the loss of an innocent 10-year-old child but for the fact that she was going to testify against her cousin and implicate him in the dismemberment and attempted disposal of Victoria's body. Allow me to remind you that this soulless twit was the prosecution's star witness. But if she loved Fabian so much, why was she here testifying against him? Was it to help get justice for Victoria? Did she want the truth of what happened that night to finally be revealed? Nah, she said right there on the stand under oath and in front of God and everyone that she was facing 200 years in prison, and she thought if she went to trial, she would get a life sentence. At least we know she was honest about one thing. Jessica then walked the jury through the days after she was released from prison. On the night of August 17th, she had made arrangements to meet up with Fabian the next day at Fabian's girlfriend's house. And she wasn't talking about Michelle. As it turned out, Fabian, of course, had a whole nother ass girlfriend that Michelle Martins knew nothing about. Once she and Fabian met up, they went to see this friend and then that friend, all the while getting high on meth. At one point, Jessica was at a friend's house babysitting with Fabian, and Michelle and Victoria came over. This was the first time Jessica had met the mother and daughter. They all rode around that night with Victoria in the car as Fabian and Jessica went to meet up with several friends to pick up more drugs. Michelle Martins was reportedly unaware that these were drug pickups, and she and Victoria waited in the car at each location. Michelle then drove Jessica and Fabian to Alicia's house and dropped them off. Alicia was that other girlfriend Fabian had at the time, the one Michelle didn't know about. 
Jessica and Fabian spent the night at the side chick's house, but they didn't sleep. Meth kind of does that to you, or so I've heard. Michelle returned the next morning around 6 a.m. to pick the two up. At some point, they were at a Motel 6 and then an auto shop, of course, smoking more meth. Jessica testified that she didn't believe Michelle Martins knew that they were smoking meth and probably thought they were just smoking weed. Of course, we know this wasn't Michelle's lifestyle prior to Fabian, and Michelle could be easily fooled. On the 19th of August, four days before the murder, Jessica went to a job interview at Church's Chicken. Plans were made for that welcome home from the pokey barbecue. There was more meth with a little alcohol thrown in and less sleep because Jessica had brought a man named Martine over to Michelle's apartment and had sex with him on the couch, a fact that again, Michelle was unaware of. That Saturday the 20th, Fabian and Jessica went joyriding in Michelle's car while Michelle either worked or was at her parents' house. Fabian dropped Jessica off to go to her son's football game, and in the evening when he picked her up, he had some guy with him that was nodding out from using heroin. Fabian took that guy to Michelle's apartment while Michelle wasn't home, according to Jessica, so he could use the restroom. Jessica's son and daughter went to Michelle's and spent the night. The next day was the infamous barbecue where Fabian was asked to leave and then got punched in the face and threatened to bring back his brothers to avenge his black eye. Jessica admitted on the stand that Fabian and two of his three brothers were involved in the thugs causing chaos gang. Jessica claimed she had tried to break up the fight, which pissed Fabian off. He left the barbecue and so did she, but they didn't leave together. She left with her stepbrother, Willie, only to return back to the barbecue location and do some more drugs. Nothing says we're glad you're free from prison, like some barbecue and a few hits of meth. The threats were still going back and forth, and six to eight guys that Jessica didn't know showed up to the house waiting for Fabian and his brothers, ready to throw down. Jessica left and went and got some drugs from friends with money her stepbrother had given her. And since Fabian was pissed at her, she crashed at her couch lover's place. If we just pause things right here, this would make one hell of an episode of Jerry Springer. The next day was the 22nd, the day before the murder. Jessica's couch lover went to work, and Fabian had apparently had time to cool off because he and Michelle picked her up from Martine's place. Fabian dropped Michelle off at work, and with her out of the way, Jessica and Fabian made a couple of drug runs, got some meth, got some weed, and that wasn't enough, so they picked up a few beers. They stayed up all night on another bender. By 6 a.m. on the morning of the murder, Jessica was beyond paranoid. She woke Fabian up and asked him to read the Bible with her. She got out a devotional book and began writing some pretty whack shit in it about God and her ex-boyfriend, Sinner. She began to believe that Sinner had actually rewritten the book for her. All the while, Sinner was shockingly in jail. Unable to shake the paranoia, she did what any logical person would do and smoke some more meth. And that's when her paranoia reached a whole new level. 
She began seeing signs and things and believed she was getting messages from her ex-boyfriend, Sinner, who actually wasn't Sinner anymore, but God, and he was using the TV to communicate with her. She took a call from her sister in prison. That call was played for the jury. In the call, she told her sister, Crystal, that she was tweaking. Her sister laughed and joked and seemingly played into her delusions, telling her that she and Sinner were on the roof and asking Jessica if she could hear them. Jessica responded, Sinner's on this other phone. He fucking hacked it. He hacked the TV. He's not Sinner no more. He's God. I can't believe he wrote this book and put it in my room. He has me all freaked out. He has me thinking that they're rolling up on me right away because they're being, they're watching like they're driving around the fucking uh, apartment. Oh my God, Crystal. I'm like, well, when is he going to pull up? Well, when is he going to pull up? Crystal then tried to calm her down and told her to stop tweaking. Jessica responded with anger and told her she's a grown-ass woman and she doesn't need her telling her what to do. Jessica Kelly then began to testify about the first time she recalled seeing Victoria that day, claiming she never saw the text from Michelle about getting her from the bus stop. The next thing she remembered was seeing Victoria outside on her scooter after Michelle and Fabian had left. She had left the door cracked because she was paranoid and wanted to be able to hear if someone was coming. Once she noticed Victoria outside, she called her into the apartment and gave her some sunflower seeds that she had left over from her son's game. Inside the apartment, Victoria watched cartoons while she did her homework. Jessica claimed she had then given Victoria that $45 for her birthday. At some point, Victoria was just outside the apartment door where she was speaking to neighbors. Jessica told them all about the $45 she had just given Victoria and then took the girl back inside the apartment. Those neighbors would later testify about this exchange, saying there was something very off about Jessica. We'll get to that in just a bit. After they were both inside, Jessica spoke to a friend on the phone and told her she was too high to talk and that she would call her back when she sobered up. It's possible Victoria might have picked up on the fact that something was wrong because according to Jessica, Victoria changed into her PJs and went into her bedroom. And that was the last time Jessica saw the little girl alive. Here's Jessica Kelly in her own words. How long was she in her room? Um, she stayed in her room. What happened next? Um, some guy just shows up. I left the door open, so he like kind of walks in. Had you ever seen him before? I never seen him before, but I was like, I don't know who he is. But he came in like he knew the place, like he knew the the house, you know. He knew the people of the house. And being that I just barely showed up, I didn't um. I didn't question why he was there, you know. Um, he did ask for a fable, and I told him that he wasn't here. Who's Fabo? Fabian. The defendant? Yes. How did he ask for him? He asked, well, where's Fable? And um, I told him he wasn't here. And he was like, oh, well, who is? And I said, me and the girl. And I pointed to the room, and he, like, nodded. And then he went to the room. So I, I just figured he knew. He knew the little girl. He knew the family. So I'm like, oh, 
You pointed to Victoria's room? Yes. And um, I ended up grabbing a cigarette and going to, to the balcony and smoking a cigarette, think, not thinking anything was going to happen. And when he came out, he let me know that um, we had something to clean up in there. And I didn't understand what he was saying. At first, I thought he was like playing with me, you know? So I waited until he left. And um, I went to go look outside before I went to even check on Victoria. I was like, who is this guy, you know? So I went and looked outside to see if I seen anything like out of the ordinary or, or anybody out there that I knew, and um, I did it. So I went and checked on Victoria. I noticed she was laying down, and I checked her pulse, and she didn't have a pulse. So tell us everything he said when he came out of the room. He said that Fabian fucked up. He knows he did. And um, for there's a mess in there that me and Fabian have to clean up, and if not, it's going to be our lives and my kids' lives. And you had never seen this person before? No. Did you know what he was talking about when he said Fabian fucked up? No. Honestly, I just thought he was like messing around with me. So when I'm in that high paranoid state, I think everybody's just messing with me. And at this point, this is when you looked outside? And uh, after he left, I waited a few minutes and I went and looked outside to see, you know, and he was gone. I didn't see Fabian, no, nobody out there, and nothing out of the ordinary. So that's when I went inside and I checked uh, Victoria's pulse. Do you know about what time that was when you looked outside? Um, it seemed like the sun was starting to go down. And you didn't see anybody else? No. What did you do next? Um, I got really scared and I waited until Fabian came home. Did you do anything with Victoria? No. Where was she in her room? In her room. She was laying on the floor in front of the TV. Was she, what position was she laying in? She was laying just flat on her back. How did she look? Oh, she just looked like she was sleeping. Did you put a blanket on her? Um, actually, uh, I heard Fabian pull up and Michelle, because of the loud music, and I panicked and I went and picked up Victoria and I threw the blanket over her because I thought maybe we could just leave with her. And um, as I walked outside, I started carrying her. She was really heavy. She was too heavy for me to carry and I, I panicked and I just took her back inside and I covered her up. You said that you heard Fabian because of the music. Why did you know? What did you hear and why did you know that was? Um, the music was blaring usually. I'm going to show you four again. Are these the stairs that you're talking about? Yes. How far down did you, did you get? Uh, maybe three steps down. And how covered with the blanket was she? Uh, I just like do the blanket over her like if I was just carrying her down like if she was sleeping. So you got, I'm sorry, you said three quarters down? Uh, like about three steps down. Three steps. Okay, so just right here towards the yeah. top. And did you say anything to them? Um, I'm not too sure if I said anything, but they were coming in, so I knew that they were going to come in, so I just went and put her back in the room, and then I started panicking because her mom, and I just didn't want the situation to, like, blow up and it be a crazy situation. Um, How long until they came inside? They came in, uh, they were out there for a few minutes, and then they came inside, and, um, uh, 
Fabian told Michelle right away to make some tacos. And I pulled Fabian to the balcony and I let him know about the guy coming and I let him know that um, Victoria was in her room dead. What did he say? Um, he went and checked and he came back and I don't think he really believed me because he was like, for real cuz, what the fuck? And I was like, for real, like, what are we gonna do? We have to get rid of her body, like, no. And he said, all right, we'll take turns. Um, How are you feeling at this time? Are you still? I'm high, but I'm like coming down. Sobering up a little bit? I'm sobering up. I was just really scared. What happened then? Um, we sat there and we acted like we were getting tacos. Um, I couldn't really eat, so I put my tacos back in the microwave. Baby went to the room with Michelle for a little bit. Which room? Uh, Michelle's room. And um, he told me he was going to have her go to bed. And then he came back out and uh, he went into the room with Victoria. When, he, when Michelle and Fabian came upstairs from the car, did and you pulled Fabian aside, did Michelle check on Victoria? No. When tacos were made, did anyone offer any to Victoria? No. Continue on, so. Uh, baby went in there and it was taking a little while, so I was like, what's going on? In where? In Victoria's room? In Victoria's room. So I went in there and he already started cutting her up and he had me hold one of her arms while he cut the other arm. And then I felt like I was going to get sick and had, he told me to hand the basket to him. I poured it out, gave him the basket. Which basket? An orange basket that was in her corner of her room. What was in the basket? Clothes. I'm sorry? Clothes. We're going to show you 151. So this is the, the bed here. Is this the area where the basket was? Yes. Is this the contents of the basket that you Yeah. Okay. Do you recognize anything else in this photograph? That blanket. That's the blanket that I covered her with. When you carried her downstairs? Yes. So you poured out the contents of that basket? Mm -hmm. And then? I left the room to go get a bowl of soapy water to help clean up the blood. Let me back you up just a little bit. When you're cutting her, what is under her? Uh, trash bags. Where did those come from? Uh, I believe in the kitchen. Who got them? He did. Fabian did. When? Um, before he went in there, I guess. I didn't actually see him get in though. Did you see, what is he cutting her with? Uh, knives from the kitchen. Did you, who got those? He did. Do you know when? I don't know when. He must have just got him before he went in there. So you leave, you give him, you dump the basket out and you left, you leave the basket in Victoria's room? Yes. Um, Start from there, where did you go? Uh, I went to the kitchen and um, I got some, a bowl of soapy water, a dish towel, and I just got some fresh air because I felt like I was going to get sick. And I went back in there with Fabian, and at that point he was cutting her in the middle. So, what are you doing? What do you mean, cutting her in the middle? He was cutting her in the middle of her chest, and I, he was like, We've got to make her look like it's not us. And I was like, What the? I'll just get the fuck out of here, I'll finish it. And he was like, well, whatever then. How long was he in the room when you went out to the kitchen 
to get the boy. You said you're getting some fresh air. How long did you leave for? Um, maybe five minutes. Not not long. I just had to find a bowl and some soap and some water and everything. And when you get back, when I get back, that's when he's cutting her, and um, I told him I'll finish cleaning her up. And did you? Did she have? You said you cut the arms. Where were those? Do you know? Um, they were in that basket with the bag. How do you know they were in there? How did you know? Because um, when, after I went in there, they were in there, and um, when I was cleaning up the blood and wrapping her body up, um. They were in that basket, and that basket I took it to the kitchen to take out when we took out her body. How was that? Describe that bag inside for us. It was just a trash bag. Was it closed or open? It was like twisted. And who did that? Fabian. So that was just in the orange basket, and you took it, and where did you put it exactly? Um, I put it in the kitchen by the door. So when we went out, we could just take that with us. What's Fabian doing while you're moving that basket? Um, he went back to the room with Michelle, and um, I cleaned up all the blood, and I wrapped up her body. And What did you wrap her with? Um, a sheet from the closet. When I was getting the sheet from the closet, I seen an iron, and I set it on the um, kitchen table for when I was done. I was going to kill Fabian and Michelle because... I was afraid to come back to prison. I'm afraid of the whole situation, and I knew if I didn't get rid of her body, the repercussions would have been bad. How long total did it take to cut her the way she was cut? Um, two hours, I believe. Did you help with more than just the, the one arm? No. Did you see, you said you came in and he was cutting her in the middle, mm -hmm. meaning her chest? Mm -hmm. How far, is that a yes? Is that a yes? Yes. How far into that was he? Um, he was already in her chest with the bag on his, on his hand. Describe that for me, what bag, a different, another bag on his hand? Like a trash bag. Over his reach, arm? Over his hand and reaching in and pulling out her heart. Did you see anything else come out? No. How long did you stay in there at that point? Um, I believe I stayed in there when he pulled it out, but that's when I started like cleaning up stuff and... Was he still doing stuff to her? No. He, he quit doing stuff to her. And uh, he went and he washed his hands, I guess, and went uh, in the room with uh, Michelle to make sure she didn't come out. How long did it take you to clean the carpet? Um, probably about an hour. Where was Victoria when you did that? She was right there, laying right there. And when um, I was done cleaning her, I had her wrapped up and asked Fabian to help me move her into the bathtub. Did he help you? Yes. How, you said you, you got a sheet and she was wrapped in that. Was she wrapped in anything else? Mm, just, I believe the, the bags and um, I put her clothes back on her. What clothes did you put on her? Her pajamas that were laying right there. Jessica Kelly was on the stand for three entire days. The prosecution more or less let her tell her story, highlighting the fact that Fabian was aware that she was high, yet he left Victoria in her care and that he had assisted her in the attempted disposal of the body. Remember, this wasn't a murder trial. 
the state only needed to prove that Fabian was guilty of reckless abuse of a child that had resulted in death and that he had tampered with evidence. While the prosecution had pretty much just let Jessica tell her story, the defense didn't take it so easy on her and they pressed for further details. When asked why after the man had left the apartment, Jessica didn't just call 911, she said that she felt scared and threatened and thought it was best to wait until Fabian got home. Had Jessica Kelly attempted at any point to render medical aid to Victoria, give her CPR? No and no, because she claimed though it had only been a couple of minutes from the time the man had left up until she went to check on Victoria, when she got into Victoria's bedroom, the child was already blue. And then there was Victoria's clothing. The birthday outfit little Victoria had worn to school that day had been found in the trash. But Jessica denied that she had thrown it away and that she had dressed Victoria back into pink pajamas after her murder, after Fabian had dismembered her and she herself had cleaned her body. But Victoria Martins wasn't found wearing pink pajamas. And later in testimony, it was revealed that she was only wearing a bright red shirt. While the attorney pointed out that these pink pajamas Jessica Kelly claimed to have dressed Victoria in had never been found, Jessica had a rather, shall we say, interesting explanation. She hadn't disposed of them, neither had Fabian or Michelle, and it wasn't the unknown man either. Jessica Kelly blamed the police, stating maybe the police lost them. Jessica also claimed that she believed the police had planted much of the evidence in the case, including the white purse that was found in the laundry basket containing all the cell phones and IDs, the same laundry basket that contained body parts and bags. She didn't claim the body parts were planted, that must have been Fabian, but her purse sitting on top? Yeah, that was planted by police. I'm sure the prosecutor's butt cheeks clenched tighter than two coats of paint as their star witness was questioned by the defense, and it was about to get so much worse. As the questioning progressed, Jessica became more and more combative with the defense attorney. When he asked why their client, Fabian Gonzalez, would help her dispose of a body and a murder he had nothing to do with, Jessica Kelly really didn't have an answer. But she insisted that Fabian had helped her, and cutting up the body was his plan. She had intended to dump Victoria's body near her friend's house, but Fabian is the one who began dismembering the child. Jessica testified that it was possible that meth she and Fabian had been using before the murder could have been laced with bath salts, suggesting that could have been why their behavior was so erratic. She went on to say she had never struck Fabian with the clothing iron, only Michelle, and that the reason she had told Michelle that her daughter was dead was because she wanted to see her reaction. When Michelle's reaction was, in her opinion, underwhelming, that's when she attacked her. But why would Jessica want to see Michelle's reaction to learning that her daughter was dead? Was she angry at Michelle? Further testimony would reveal that Michelle Martins wanted Jessica Kelly out of her apartment. Remember that behind-the-back rental agreement between Fabian and Jessica. Well, at first Michelle was okay with Jessica being there because she seemed nice and Michelle thought she'd be there for about a week. 
But as time went on, Michelle became concerned and wanted Jessica gone ASAP. Could that have been the reason Jessica was so angry? As Jessica's testimony wound down, the defense challenged her once again about the changes in her story. And I shit you not, Jessica Kelly responded, and I quote, When I gave my statement, it matched the facts. The defense pointed out that Jessica hadn't given this statement involving the unknown man until after she had learned some of the details of the case as she worked on her defense. And further, they knew she had watched District Attorney Raul Torres speak at that press conference detailing the DNA evidence and the announcement that they were seeking a fourth suspect. And how did they know? Because not only had Jessica Kelly's jailhouse phone calls been recorded, but her cell had been bugged. Jessica had seemed excited after that press conference, telling her family members and anyone that would listen that she could finally tell her story. The timing was hella suspicious. The defense also pointed out that Jessica Kelly was the only person who seen this John Doe, and that the description she was able to give was that he was a well-dressed man with a, quote, Mexican accent. Investigators had never had her sit down with an artist or attempt to complete a sketch. And further, samples of DNA had never been collected from several of Victoria's playmates. Could the DNA from the mystery killer actually be the DNA from a child Victoria had played with at school or at the apartment complex after she got home? Was Jessica Kelly making up this fourth suspect when she had acted alone all along? When Jessica's testimony was over, several members of Jessica and Fabian's family testified about the days leading up to the murder and that Jessica Kelly was heavily using meth, paranoid, delusional, hallucinating, and that Fabian was using too, but he didn't seem to be quite on the same level as Jessica. I want to note here that after this point, I'm not going in the order the witnesses testified in court because it's much easier to follow the order of events rather than going back and forth. The order of witnesses did not reflect the order of events as is common in court proceedings. However, we're going to try and make it easier to follow because this case is already a lot to keep up with. We know that in the days prior to Victoria's murder, there was a ton of back and forth with Fabian and Jessica going to this person's house and then that one and getting some meth and weed along the way. Fast forward to the 21st of August and that release from prison barbecue. It turned out that the female cousin who hosted the party was Amanda Padilla. And to say she was a reluctant witness would be the understatement of the year. Amanda was appearing via Zoom and at first refused to even turn her camera on, arguing with Judge Cindy Leos, who was having none of it. Eventually, the camera was switched on and Amanda testified that on the night of the barbecue, she had sent her son out to tell Fabian that he could fix a plate, but then he needed to leave because he was no longer welcome after stealing items from her and her fiancé, Angelo. Fabian refused to leave. And when she went outside to tell him he had to, Fabian pushed her, she pushed back, he swung and missed, and she punched him in the face. Fabian grabbed her by the hair, but others at the party, including Jessica Kelly, broke it up. Because Amanda was pregnant at the time. 
One of Fabian's ex-girlfriends showed up and Fabian went from fighting Amanda to fighting her. Again, grabbing this girl by the hair. But he kind of got his ass handed to him and then he left threatening to go get his brothers. The threats didn't stop there. Text messages recovered from both Fabian and Amanda's phones reveal that the threats went back and forth throughout the night and into the next day, and that Fabian repeatedly tried to contact his brothers and searched online for guns, all while still threatening Amanda. We don't have enough time to go through them all, but here's just an excerpt. Fabian to Amanda. Sorry ass bitch, you'll get yours after you had that baby, you dumb bitch. And Amanda? You always hit females. The only difference is I hit back. It ain't my fault you hit like a bitch. And then Fabian sent a photo of himself, shirtless, trying to look tough, flipping the bird. And another text message that said, This is far from over. On chaos, dumb bitch. He then went back to calling his brothers and searching for more guns. And Amanda's fiancé, Angelo, had gotten home by that time, and according to Amanda, they had three or four of the men who worked for Angelo hang around, just in case Fabian showed back up with his brothers. But when initially questioned by police, neither she nor Angelo could recall their names. They couldn't remember the names of men that worked for them. Eventually, those men left, according to Amanda, and her husband stayed out all night at her sister's house hanging out with her brother-in-law. Amanda tried to downplay the event, saying that Fabian was known to exaggerate a lot, and they didn't take the threat seriously, and that Victoria's death had nothing to do with the barbecue. Her words didn't exactly match her actions, though, since she was reluctant to testify for fear of bringing danger to herself and her children, and the fact that on the night of the barbecue, she and Angelo felt threatened enough to have men hang around. But all that was for the jury to decide. Of course, that night, Jessica Kelly had testified that she had gone to her couch lover's apartment and stayed the night over there. Victoria's mother, Michelle Martins, would later testify that with Jessica Kelly out of the house, she felt relieved. But Fabian was still there, nursing that black eye. He dropped Michelle off at work and then went and picked Jessica Kelly up. The pair scored some more drugs while Michelle worked and then stayed up all night using, Jessica Kelly becoming more and more paranoid and delusional. The next morning was Victoria's birthday. Michelle woke up early to make cupcakes for her to bring to school. At some point, although it's unclear when, Victoria was given a kitten for her birthday. The kitten was reportedly a gift from Fabian. Victoria went off to school. Jessica Kelly woke Fabian up at 6 a.m., talking about sinner and God and writing those notes down that devotional. Fabian knew Jessica was in a state of meth-induced paranoia and having hallucinations, but he and Michelle left her at the apartment. Jessica continued to tweak while Fabian and Michelle ran all over Hell's Half Acre, getting weed, possibly some more meth, and alcohol. Fabian took Michelle to his uncle's and his brother's, and Fabian was warned by his uncle that Jessica was off her freaking rocker. And at all these stops, Michelle Martins waited in the car, never going into the uncle's house or the brother's. 
Michelle Martins had then sent those texts asking first her mom and then Jessica Kelly to pick Victoria up from the bus stop. According to court testimony, Fabian told her that Jessica should get her, so Michelle told her mom to forget it. But Jessica never made it down to the bus stop to pick Victoria up. A neighbor, Amanda Wilson, testified that her daughter and Victoria were close in age, went to school together, were friends, and that she frequently seen Victoria and Michelle around the complex, although she had no knowledge of Fabian or Jessica Kelly. But she had noticed some changes in Victoria the two weeks prior to her murder. Victoria began showing up to the bus stop looking what she described as disheveled, hungover, and unprepared for school. She wasn't as talkative and didn't appear to interact with the other kids as much as she had before. What she didn't know was this was the same time Fabian Gonzalez had come into her and Michelle's lives. At around 4 o'clock on the day of the murder, Amanda had gone to the bus stop to pick her own daughter up when she saw Victoria just standing at the bus stop holding the Tupperware container she had taken her birthday cupcakes to school in. Victoria called out to her and told her that nobody had shown up to get her and that someone was in the apartment and she couldn't be there. So they tried to call Michelle, but there was no answer. Amanda took Victoria into her own apartment where she played with her daughter. She tried to reach Michelle once again via text to let her know that no one was there to get Victoria. At some point, Victoria left and went to her own apartment. A short time later, Amanda witnessed Michelle and Fabian pull into the complex blaring their music. Fabian was driving and to her, it looked like the pair had been out partying. This would have been around 5.07 p.m. For about an hour, everyone was back at the apartment. Victoria, Michelle, Fabian, and Jessica Kelly. It's around this time that Jessica gave Victoria the birthday money and Fabian ended up taking her into the bathroom and taking it away from her. At 6.08 p.m., Fabian took Victoria to the gas station and bought her a soda and himself a small bottle of liquor. At this same time, Jessica was on the phone with her sister in that call that was played for the jury where Jessica was, in her own words, tweaking. Michelle Martins reportedly overheard part of this conversation. Fabian and Victoria returned 10 to 15 minutes later. And then Fabian and Michelle left again. At around 6.30 p.m., heading towards Fabian's brother Joseph's house in Paradise Hills to get some weed. At around 7 p.m., Michelle and Fabian were back at the apartment again. Fabian waited in the car as Michelle brought Jessica her cigarettes. But apparently, they were the wrong ones and Jessica screamed at Michelle. Several neighbors actually witnessed this exchange. At this point, Victoria was outside riding her scooter. Fabian and Michelle left yet again, and according to Jessica, Fabian was going to get some more meth. Minutes after they had left, at around 7.05 p.m., multiple neighbors spoke to Jessica and Victoria. They recounted the interactions on the stand, all telling basically the same story about Michelle and Victoria and what they witnessed the day of the murder. Up until Fabian entered the picture, Michelle and Victoria's life seemed normal. Michelle did seem to possibly have some sort of an intellectual disability and at times seemed a little immature. They noticed that her parents helped with Victoria's care frequently. But all in all, Michelle seemed like a good mom. Well, that was until Fabian moved in and things went downhill quickly. 
On the evening of the murder, at least one of them had seen Victoria chasing a kitten around the apartments. Victoria appeared happy and invited this neighbor to her birthday party at the park, which as we know was supposed to happen the following day. At least five of them had spoken to Victoria and Jessica just after seven, after Michelle and Fabian had left. They all recounted that Victoria talked excitedly about her birthday and that new kitten and again invited them all to her party. And Jessica Kelly? She appeared to be out of it and rude, trying to answer for Victoria as they asked what she wanted for her birthday, telling them that she had already given her $45, seemingly suggesting she didn't need anything else before tugging Victoria away and eventually into the apartment. It was clear from their testimony that these neighbors adored little Victoria. At times, several of them broke down on the stand. While Michelle and Fabian were out on that drug run, at approximately 7.32 p.m., Fabian's brother Joseph called him and he and Michelle went back to his house in Paradise Hills. Joseph Gonzalez was called to testify about that visit as well as his brother's gang activity. His shoulders must have been tired by the end of his testimony because from the time he swore in up until the time he stepped down, he had the world's largest chip on his shoulder, at times becoming very hostile towards the prosecution. Let's start off with the gang activity. Joseph Gonzalez denied that any of his brothers belonged to any gang and was quick to point out that at one point he had worked as a correctional officer. Joseph claimed all his brothers were upstanding members of society and began listing off their occupations. Well, except for Fabian, because I can't find where he actually held down a legitimate job. And apparently neither could his brother, or believe me, he would have mentioned it. He went on to say that no one had ever referred to Fabian as Favo, as Jessica Kelly had testified the unidentified fourth man had. When the prosecution presented him with photos of his brothers wearing matching red hats, throwing up gang signs, Joseph denied that had anything to do with the gang and stated his brothers, quote, liked to color coordinate. And they weren't throwing up gang signs. They were signaling number one. Okay, Joseph, I'm sure they got the color coordinating hats made at the local Mommy and Me boutique. He testified that when Fabian contacted him about what went down at the barbecue, he told him to drop it, it was beneath him, and he didn't get involved. But he disputed the fact that phone records showed Fabian had called him nearly 20 times after he got his ass kicked. When it came to the visits from Fabian and Michelle the day of the murder, Joseph testified that Michelle had never gone inside his house because he didn't allow people inside he didn't know and that Fabian appeared his normal self, even describing him as happy at 4 or 4.30 p.m., which was the last time he had seen him. The prosecution presented evidence to refute that time frame, saying it was more like 7 to 7.30, according to the Google records, but again faced with the facts, Joseph denied his brother had been there at that time, stating that the records looked like something the prosecution had just Xeroxed off. And he knew because in addition to being a correctional officer and a producer, he had once worked at Verizon. This dude actually said to the prosecutor while on the stand, 
ma'am, your times are off. My times are accurate. But the Google records did in fact indicate that Fabian and Michelle were at his house just after 7.30 that night. They then went to several more locations before returning back to Michelle's apartment at 8.48 p.m. When Fabian and Michelle returned to the apartment, there was a group of teenage kids hanging out around the front of the complex where they could see the parking spot Fabian parked the car in. Several of these at-the-time teens testified that they witnessed the car pull up, music blaring, and then saw Jessica Kelly carry Victoria all the way down the stairs to the car and that she actually showed the child to the people sitting in the car before carrying her back into the apartment. One of the boys testified that he was sure at the time Victoria was wearing pink pajama pants. Of course, that testimony differs from the adult neighbors who testified that Jessica hadn't made it down the stairs with Victoria. She was struggling, so she had turned around and went back into the apartment. One of the women who testified was named Monica. She just so happened to be at the apartments that night visiting her sister, Christina. She and her sister had interacted with Victoria and Jessica earlier. Monica, her sister, brother-in-law, and their kids had all left the apartment between 5 and 6 to go to a nearby park. They returned just before Fabian and Michelle had arrived back. They were still outside when the two had pulled back up, and they witnessed Fabian and Michelle, who appeared to be tweaked out, dancing and singing in the car to loud music. It made enough of an impact on Monica that she had actually mentioned to her sister how tweaked out they looked. They then witnessed Jessica Kelly walking down the stairs, cradling Victoria in her arms as if she were sleeping. Jessica seemed to be struggling, and as she attempted to shift Victoria in her arms, one of Victoria's arms fell down and dangled there. Monica noticed that it looked very limp, like Victoria had been drugged or wasn't alive. And again, it was notable enough that Monica pointed it out to her sister. Jessica went back into the apartment carrying Victoria, and Michelle and Fabian followed not too long after. The neighbors reported that the night was more quiet than usual, until it wasn't. But before we get there, let's talk about a few more of Fabian's messages. According to Michelle's testimony, Jessica herself and Fabian all ate dinner, and then she and Fabian went into the master bedroom, never checking on Victoria. Jessica was watching TV in the living room, and twice Michelle went out to smoke a cigarette on the balcony before falling asleep, according to her, with her head on Fabian's lap around midnight. Both before and while Michelle was sleeping, Fabian was texting and messaging a couple different women, including his other girlfriend, Alicia. He sent several messages between 10 and 10.30 and then a gap and then another message to yet another female at 12.08. There was no more messaging activity after that, but there was something interesting going on with both Michelle and Fabian's phones. At 11.05 p.m., Michelle Martin's phone went off the Wi-Fi in the apartment, and according to the cell phone data, that phone was out in the parking lot of the complex. Michelle testified that she was never in the parking lot at this time, and that Fabian sometimes used her phone. Fabian's phone also went off the Wi-Fi and into the parking lot between 11.15 and 11.59, a fact that Michelle would later claim she was also unaware of. 
At 3.40 a.m., the records indicate that Fabian was back on his phone. And around 4.07 a.m., Michelle's phone went back off the Wi-Fi. This was about 30 minutes before police were called. Michelle claimed she didn't know how that had happened either, and it wasn't her. Remember, neither Fabian or Michelle had their phones on them when police arrived, and both claimed Jessica had taken them. But they claimed this happened just prior to them being attacked and right before police were called. Prosecutors didn't go into depth on this cell phone evidence, but suggested that it proved that both Fabian and Jessica were involved in the disposal of Victoria's body. Back to the story. As we talked about, neighbors reported that the night was more quiet than what was usual since Fabian had moved in. That was until between 1 and 3.30 a.m., when they overheard a male and female arguing on the balcony of apartment 808. One neighbor actually recognized the voices, testifying that it was Fabian and Jessica. Fabian was saying, let's go inside. And Jessica stated, what are we going to do? They argued about going inside some more and then did, in fact, go inside. Things were quiet for about another hour and a half until a little after 3 a.m. when multiple neighbors heard loud screams and bangs coming from what sounded like the master bedroom of Michelle's apartment. Michelle could be heard screaming no and stop. There were more loud bangs and it sounded like the struggle moved from the bedroom to the kitchen. This went on for between 5 to 10 minutes, and then Fabian and Michelle were seen standing on the sidewalk outside Michelle's apartment. One witness overheard Michelle say to Fabian, I think she killed her, recalling that it sounded like Michelle was asking a question rather than making a statement. A few moments later, Fabian began pounding on doors, asking for someone to call 911. He eventually made his way to a neighboring apartment where a mother and daughter lived. As soon as the mom saw Michelle bleeding from her face, she called 911. Fabian called out and said someone was after them. Michelle was overheard again saying, she killed my daughter. The neighbors testified that she looked out of it, her eyes were dilated, and she kept asking Fabian where her phone was. He eventually responded, remember, she took it. While Michelle was worried about her phone, the neighbors were worried about her children asking Michelle multiple times where the kids were. Fabian headed downstairs to the apartment of a man named Sullivan, frantically knocking on the door saying he needed help and to call 911 because he had been jumped. Sullivan let him in and called 911. And as he was on the phone with dispatch, after about 10 to 15 minutes, Michelle too showed up at his apartment. According to Sullivan, Fabian seemed scared and Michelle and Fabian were still talking to each other about phones. And while Fabian appeared afraid, Michelle didn't seem quite as shook up, although she did cry and at one point said to Fabian, I don't know if my daughter's okay. Is my baby okay? Fabian replied, I don't know. I just ran out and pounded on several doors, but nobody answered us, but these people answered for us. When asked what happened, Fabian stated they were sleeping, and their friend Jessica hit Michelle in the forehead with an iron. Michelle corrected him and said, It was your fucking cousin. Sullivan went on to say that while they were waiting on police, Fabian, who had showed up wearing one sock, took his other one off and discarded it in his trash can. 
He had notified police and the item was taken into evidence. He also noted that the two of them smelled like meth and neither of them ever mentioned going back to check on Victoria. And then he slipped something right there at the end before his testimony was over, stating that Michelle Martins looked like she had a demon on her face when she came into his apartment. The prosecution just moved right along and acted like that statement never happened. But I heard what the man said. Police and first responders arrived on scene and investigators started doing what investigators do, securing the scene and collecting evidence. The paramedics began assessing everyone. Victoria first, but it was quickly determined there was nothing they could do for her. Michelle was next. It was noted that she had a flat affect and didn't seem to be reactive. And never once did she ask about the condition of her daughter. She stared blankly and wasn't crying, but appeared to possibly have been in shock. She was transported to the hospital for the injuries to her face. When it came to Fabian, he had blood on his shirt and shorts, which later came back to Michelle Martin's. And then there was Jessica. According to those who treated her at the scene, she looked out of it and as if she were under the influence. Her speech was slurred and she appeared to be hallucinating. Moving right along, let's talk about what was revealed about the physical evidence in this case at trial. Because there was a ton of evidence at the scene and on Victoria's body. But for all the evidence that was there, there still didn't seem to be a definitive answer as to the story that evidence told. It all kind of depended on who you believed. Rebecca Ash Kendrick from the medical examiner's office was one of the expert witnesses who testified about the condition of Victoria's body and what the autopsy revealed. Victoria Martins had been strangled. There were scratches and bruises on both sides of her neck, as well as bruises on her jaw and the bottom part of her mouth, and abrasions on the inside, in a pattern consistent with a hand being forcefully placed over her mouth. Petechial hemorrhaging was noted on her eyelids and cheeks, and there was hemorrhaging in the muscles on the front and back of her neck. All these things were consistent with manual strangulation. The medical examiner went over the injuries Victoria had suffered post-mortem, highlighting the fact that the lack of blood left in Victoria's body, along with the amount of blood found at the scene, indicated major cleanup had taken place, both at the scene and on Victoria's body. Cleanup that would have taken hours. And Victoria was only wearing that red shirt and not the pink pajamas Jessica Kelly testified she had placed on her. The prosecutor went on to ask if she believed that there was evidence of a sexual assault, as had been found in the original autopsy. And she testified that she could not definitively say further stating that while there was evidence of both chronic anal inflammation and vaginal injuries, and while they couldn't rule out a sexual assault, those injuries could have been caused by something non-sexual. And when it came to the sexually transmitted disease also found in the original autopsy, it was never mentioned during Fabian's trial. Why? I couldn't tell you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. There were days of DNA and fingerprint testimony. As DNA analysts, forensic scientists, and investigators that had worked the initial and second investigation took the stand. The amount of DNA testing done in this case was overwhelming. Rosalind Archuleta, a state DNA analyst, testified that their report for Victoria's case was 1,800 pages long, which was six times larger than most cases, and the largest case she or the state lab had ever done. Like I said, days of testimony. I'm going to do my best to break it down. It was revealed that the male DNA found on Victoria's hand and under her fingernails was very significant because, as we've discussed before, Victoria's arms had been removed and placed in a plastic bag. Also in that bag was a substantial amount of blood. That blood had washed away DNA evidence. The fact that there was enough to be tested was significant because it meant there was a large amount of DNA present before the scene had been altered. The prosecution believed that DNA had gotten under Victoria's fingernails as she fought back while she was being strangled. That male DNA had also been found on Victoria's lower back and neck, but it didn't match Fabian or any of the 38 other profiles obtained throughout the case they had compared it to. In fact, this DNA evidence was the strongest indication the state had that an unknown male had murdered Victoria. Male DNA had also been found on items used to clean up the scene. A lot of items. While it couldn't be used to determine exactly whose DNA it was, the testing had revealed that it was in fact male. There was a wipe container found in Victoria's bedroom with male DNA, a comforter on top of the dryer that had both male DNA as well as Victoria's blood and flesh, the sheet and garbage bag wrapped around Victoria's body, and the garbage bag that contained body parts, as well as another garbage bag found under that one, which were all inside that orange laundry basket. As far as the garbage bag containing body parts was concerned, where that DNA had been found was important. That male DNA was located near where the bag had been tied. Male DNA was also present on two knives. One had a mixture of Victoria's flesh and blood, and human male DNA on the hilt. The other knife had male DNA on the handle and Victoria's blood on the blade. The prosecution believed that Fabian Gonzalez was the only male present in the apartment after 8.48 p.m., so it was likely the male DNA belonged to him, although there wasn't enough for that to be determined. Fabian's DNA was found, however, in several rather concerning spots. For starters, on two towels in the washer that had been cycled through the wash but not yet dried. 
Even after being washed, Victoria's blood was present on both, and further testing revealed male DNA on one and Fabian's DNA mixed with Victoria's blood on the other. And then there were the socks. Remember, Fabian had thrown one of his socks into the garbage can at the neighbor's apartment, but where was the other one? As it turned out, investigators had located the other sock inside that orange laundry basket with Fabian's DNA on the inside and a piece of Victoria's flesh on the outside. The defense was quick to point out that Fabian had been living there at the time and that the sock had been found in the orange laundry basket containing the bags with body parts, which I'm not really sure did them any favors. However, the expert witness conceded that it was unknown exactly when the sock had been placed there, so it could have been possible that Jessica Kelly could have been the one to put it in there. Fabian's fingerprints were also found on a mop handle inside the apartment. I would love to tell you that the cleaning end of the mop was tested to see if any blood was present, or if it was damp or appeared used. However, that wasn't in the testimony, and if any testing was done, I sure couldn't find it. The jumper Victoria had worn to school that day was found in the kitchen garbage can, layered with remnants of dinner, suggesting that it was placed there around the time dinner was cleaned up. For the prosecution, this was more evidence that Fabian would have been awake at the time evidence was being tampered with. But of course, both Fabian Gonzalez and Jessica Kelly pointed the finger at each other as to who dismembered and tried to dispose of Victoria's body and cleaned up the scene. But the prosecution contended that the DNA evidence, along with their own testimony about who saw and who did what, suggested that they both participated in the attempted cover-up. The jury took a trip to apartment 808 to see exactly how small it was and how thin the walls were. The prosecution theorized that there was no way Jessica Kelly could have done all the cleanup on her own for hours without Fabian hearing her. But what about Michelle? Had Fabian gone in and out of the room and kept her distracted? How was that working if the apartment was so small? Both the prosecution and the defense's theories had more than a few holes. There were, and still are, a lot of unanswered questions in Victoria's case. Questions that are still left unanswered despite investigators' best attempts to get to the bottom of the truth. Detective Richard Lewis, who led the second investigation in the case, testified that over 90 to 100 people were interviewed. And at times, he and a team of investigators were working seven days a week for weeks on end. The massive cleanup at the scene and witnesses that were reluctant to speak had hindered the investigation, along with the many lies told by the three suspects. But he was determined to get to the truth. After reviewing everything, he firmly believed that an unknown male had killed Victoria, and both Fabian and Jessica were involved in the attempted cover-up. And further, there had to have been some removal of items from the scene at some point because clothing of Victoria's was missing. The defense had brought up several legitimate questions about this fourth unidentified suspect throughout the trial, one being the fact that none of the neighbors reported seeing any strange men that night. When Detective Lewis was asked if this changed his opinion about the fourth male and that Jessica could have acted completely alone, he responded that it didn't 
because they had never seen Jessica's couch lover Martine come over either. Obviously, he just called him Martine. I threw in the couch lover bit. When asked if the unknown male DNA could have been from one of Victoria's playmates, as the defense suggested, Detective Lewis testified that he had no evidence that led him to believe that Victoria was playing with any of the neighborhood boys the day of the murder, and that there were no juvenile males identified that needed to be swabbed that weren't. And further, he believed people involved in this case absolutely know who the fourth man is. When asked how the initial investigation had led police to believe that Michelle Martins had sold her daughter online and witnessed her brutal rape and murder, and if police had used tactics that had contributed to a false confession, the detective explained that interviewing Michelle Martins was a whole different animal, stating, Michelle Martins is probably one of the most difficult people I've had to deal with in my career. As he picked up his binder, he continued, I could talk her into this as a binder of reports or a unicorn. He went on to say that she was extremely suggestible and could be talked into or out of anything. And that was the reason things had gotten so off track initially. But he had called on the FBI to assist in investigating the claims Michelle made about trafficking Victoria. And they had found no evidence that it was true. But even after all of his exhaustive investigation, he still couldn't say exactly who had murdered Victoria or why. He said the only three people he could rule out in Victoria's murder were Michelle Martins, Fabian Gonzalez, and himself. He wasn't talking about the cleanup or who was responsible for leaving Victoria and Jessica Kelly's care. He was strictly talking about the person who had placed their hands around Victoria's neck and taken her life. He still had questions, and it was still as he was sitting there on the stand, an open investigation. And he was still searching for that fourth suspect. Is that what your theory is in this case, that somebody was asked to come and do what he did? You, you mean who, to murder Victoria? Well, he ended up murdering Victoria, right. As I sit here today, there is still a variety of possibilities. Was it just simple that people were, Jessica and an unknown male were just smoking drugs and something went wrong? Was there, was it as a result of the barbecue and the threats that the defendant made against uh, Amanda and D'Angelo? I don't have a specific theory at this point. I just don't have enough information. Can you rule out the theory that it was just Jessica? I think, uh, again, you'd have to just ignore all the physical evidence. And I've learned over many years, follow your evidence, follow the evidence. Shortly after Detective Lewis testified, the court proceedings came to a grinding halt after Fabian tested positive for COVID-19. There was fear that this would result in a mistrial, but Judge Cindy Leos made arrangements to ensure that wouldn't happen. There was a full-day delay as all of the attorneys, judge, and court staff had to be tested. At first, Fabian was adamant that he wanted to appear at his trial in person. The judge ordered a glass box be brought in with an air purifier 
and that he would be required to wear two N95 masks, and if he complied, he could continue to be present. The box was brought in and Fabian sat in his little box for the first day the trial resumed. But after a day in timeout, he decided he didn't need to be in the courtroom and opted to watch his trial from Zoom. By this time, the majority of the evidence had been presented. The state had rested and it was the defense's turn. But as I said, we went over the evidence mostly in order of events, so we've pretty much covered everything and the defense witnesses. But there was one more person involved that the jury hadn't heard from yet, and that was Michelle Martins herself. She was the defense's final witness. Within a few moments of her testimony, it was clear exactly what Detective Lewis had meant when he described Michelle as someone who was easily suggestible. At times, she contradicted herself, and it seemed she didn't want to disagree with attorneys from either side. She testified that at first, Fabian was nice, and she didn't know he used any drugs. She admitted that she had hid their relationship from her parents. And once Jessica Kelly began hanging around, things had changed between her and Fabian. With Jessica around, Fabian became more and more distant, and Michelle became aware that he was using drugs. She also testified that at first she thought Jessica was dice as well, but as time went on, she wanted her out of her house. The night of the infamous barbecue, Fabian had gotten so angry it had scared Michelle, and she thought he might actually hit her. He didn't, but that seemed to be the first time she was actually afraid that he could get violent. She testified that she was fearful of his brothers, too, even though she had never met them and had always waited in the car. But all the gun talk and threats the night at the barbecue had frightened her. When Jessica didn't come back to the apartment that night, Michelle felt relieved. It was around this same time she told Fabian that either Jessica needed to go or both of them needed to leave. Either way, she wanted Jessica Kelly out of her apartment, although she had never told Jessica herself that, instead left it up to Fabian. And while Michelle didn't exactly like confrontation, it wasn't like she hadn't put her foot down before. Remember that previous boyfriend, David Hernandez, the one who had tried to kiss Victoria? Well, it turned out it was a little more involved than just an attempted kiss. According to Michelle, David had gone into Victoria's bedroom at night when Michelle was sleeping and made what she described as a pass at Victoria. When she found out, she immediately ditched him and kicked him out of her apartment. She testified that she would never knowingly put her daughter in danger and that she took Victoria's safety seriously. But that testimony contradicted the facts and Michelle's later testimony that she knew Jessica and Fabian were using drugs, and that around 12.30 in the afternoon on the day of Victoria's murder, Fabian had actually sent her a text message asking her to come to a line with him and Jessica. Michelle testified that she thought he was asking her to do a line of coke, but in reality, Fabian was trying to get her to do meth. Michelle declined the line of meth, but admitted that she had been drinking with Fabian later on that day. She also said she had witnessed Jessica Kelly talking to herself in a paranoid state, thinking that people were coming to get her. In a previous statement given to law enforcement, she had described Jessica's behavior on the day of her daughter's murder as creepy and scary. 
So why had she left Victoria in her care? According to Michelle, Fabian had convinced her that everything would be okay. She broke down on the stand as she agreed that this was the worst decision she could have possibly made. Michelle then walked the jury through the events of the night after she and Fabian had returned to the apartment. Listen closely to how Michelle describes the moment she found out Victoria was dead. Does Jessica return into the house? Yes. And did you and Fabian get out of the car at some point and go up into the apartment? Yes. And who was ahead of who, do you remember? I don't remember. Oh. Did you ask Jessica about Victoria at that time? Yes, I asked her where she was going with my daughter and she didn't answer me. Okay. So she didn't answer you. Did you um, ask where where Victoria was then? She said she was put her in her bedroom. She was in her bedroom. Was the door closed? Yes. At that time, if you can remember, and it's hard because a lot of time has gone by, at that time, what did you think was happening? I don't know. I thought she was just asleep. And you said she, you mean, Victoria was just asleep. Yes. When you first came in, did, did Fabian and Jessica have, like, a private conversation? Did you remember? Yes. Okay, where were they? They were in the living room. Okay. And right after that conversation, did Fabian go into your daughter's bedroom? No. And would you have noticed that? Yes. Even in a good mood, you would have noticed Yes. That? Okay. And... How did Fabian act after that conversation with, with uh, Jessica? How was he acting? He was acting kind of distant. Distant. What, is he angry at you? No, not at me. Okay. So you think he was angry at Jessica? I think he was angry. Okay. And do you have any idea where that angry is from? No. Okay. Did he start acting strange towards you, Fabian? Yes, because he wasn't as close with me as he was before. He was very close to you before, but ever since Jessica, there's been some friction. Yes. And you're still feeling that friction? Yes. Okay. Did he help you make supper? Yes, he did. Okay. Do you remember when supper happened? What supper happened? Yeah, what's the sequence? Did, did I, I know there's a part where you go into the bedroom, but was supper before that, or did you come out later to have supper? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay. And for the rest of the night, you you did go into the bedroom, right, at some point? Yes. Okay. And was Fabian with you then? Yes. Okay. And did you guys make love then? Was that happening? Did you guys have sex? I don't recall. Okay, you don't recall, but but that could have happened that during that period of time? Yes. Okay. Um, did Fabian that night ever look really upset to you? No, he just had a, he, he just looked like regular. Yeah, okay. And was he ever sweating from exertion, could you tell? I couldn't tell. Okay. Did he basically seem his usual self? No. In the sense that he that friction was still there? Yes. And were you paying pretty close attention to Fabian at this time? I was trying to. Okay. When you were in the bedroom, um, assuming you were having sex, and you said you don't remember, when you had sex, did you usually close the door so your child wouldn't come in? Yes. Okay. And that night, if you remember, did you have the television on? Yes, I did. Okay. And do you remember ever hearing the other television on? Yes. You do? Yes. Was it kind of loud? Yes, it was. Did you guys ask uh, Jessica to turn it down? No. Okay. Well, after you went into the bedroom, did you just stay in the bedroom or did you ever come out again? No, I stayed in the bedroom. Okay. 
Um, although there were some cigarette breaks, right? Yes. Okay, and I, I, I'm not sure whether there were one or two cigarettes, if you remember. Do you remember? I don't one? remember. Okay. But at some point you came out, and that must have been, it was it fairly late when you came out for that cigarette break? I don't remember the exact time. Okay. Was it um, before you went to sleep? Was it after sex? That kind of thing? Did that it was happen? before I went to bed. I know that. Okay. So it was before you went to bed. And so you would go to the balcony to smoke, right? Yes. And did Fabian come with you? Not that I could recall. Okay. Was Jessica out there smoking? No. No. Did she come join you on the balcony? No. Okay. So you smoked by yourself? Yes. And when you went back into the bedroom, was Fabian still in the bed? No, he was in the living room with Jessica. He was in the living room with Jessica. Did yeah. he ever come back to bed? Yes, he did. Okay. When you were getting ready to go to sleep, did you turn the, your TV off? Yes. Okay. And how did you go to sleep? Was Fabian with you when you went to sleep? Yes, he was in the bedroom. Okay. And how did you fall asleep? Were you entangled or were you on your side of the bed and he's on his side? I fell asleep on his lap. On his lap. Okay. Now, would you have woken up if he got up, or would you have... I would have. You would have? I would have. When you went out for the cigarette on the balcony, you would pass through the living room to get to the balcony. Is that fair to say? Yes. And were the lights on in the living room? No. They were off? Yes. So, uh, could you not see very well in the living room? Because it's at night and you're, you've been in another room? I saw pretty well. Okay. So, did you see your orange laundry basket in, in the middle of the room at that time? No. And was the television still on in that room, the living room? Yes. Were? It was? Yes. Okay. Let me ask you about the bathrooms. Your house has two kind of master baths, I mean, full baths? Yes. Okay. So you had a full bathroom off your bedroom, so? Off of my bedroom, and then the other one was a half of that. Okay. And that night, did you use your bathroom? Yes. Off the master? Yes. Okay. And did they use your bathroom off the, off the master? Yes. And did you ever hear the shower running in your bathroom? No. Now, when you had the interview with all the lawyers, which was the earlier interview, do you remember talking about the dryer? Vaguely. Okay. And do you remember saying the buzzer was really loud? Yes. Okay. And could you hear that buzzer anywhere in the house when you were doing laundry? Yes. So it helped you know when your cycle was done and you could keep working? Yes. You could multitask. Yes. Do you ever remember the buzzer going off that time? I don't recall. Okay. That wouldn't have been loud enough to wake you up. No. But it might have been loud enough if you were awake? Yes. Your fight with, with, with Jessica, did it um, go on for a long time? And how, how, was, she, how was she hurting? How was it, how was it happening? Okay, so when, when she, after she hit me with the iron, I went to get up and go into my daughter's bedroom because I was going to take her and I was going to jump from the window. And she, when I got up, she hit me again with the iron in the back of my head. And, and as I was making my way to my daughter's room, she kept beating me up, beating me up. She pulled my hair, she threw me to the floor. She was just beating, beating me up. like. And could you see very much at that time? No, because I was dizzy from losing all the blood. Okay. And do you have a condition that causes that blood? I mean, like, does that make you like even more dizzy? Yes. And as you were struggling, your goal was to get into your daughter's room? Yes. Okay. And what did you do when you got into your daughter's room? 
I shut the door and I locked it so that way she would stop beating me up because I was going to jump from the window and have my daughter jump in my arms to get away from her. Okay, so you were you were ready to make the escape with your daughter. Yes. Was there light in that room at all? There was a nightlight. There was a a nightlight. nightlight. So there was a little bit of light. Yes. Okay. And in that little bit of light, did you look everywhere for your daughter in the room? Yes, I did. Okay. And did you uh, check the closet because kids sometimes hide in the closet? Yes, I did. Sorry? Yes, I did. You did. Okay. I'm going to show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 170. And it's already been in evidence. Um, I hope, hope I get some. Maybe if I turn it, this that will make you dizzy. But. You can see the hole at the bottom and the top. Do you recognize that at all? That's her closet. Okay, that's the closet in the room. Yes. Is there anything amiss in that picture? Yes, all her clothes. And when you say all her clothes, um, are you talking about the clothes in the hangers or the clothes on the floor? Mm, the clothes on the hangers. Okay. So were there usually a lot of clothes hanging on the in, in the, on the hangers in your in that yes, because I would put her pants in there, and then some shirts, and then the rest I would put in the drawers. Okay. Now, I, I know this is a stretch, but did, when you looked in the closet that night, did you notice any of this? I didn't. Okay. And I know it's a, a, a stupid question at this time, but was your daughter in the room? No, she was not. Okay. So what did you do next? So I opened the door, and I asked Jessica, I said, where, where the... Where the fuck is my daughter? I told her. Exact words. Okay. And she still didn't answer me. She started beating me up again. She started pulling my hair. She started beating me up, kicking me. And as she's doing that, I'm making my way out of the apartment. And right by the door, I had a picture frame, and she hit me with the picture frame. And I, I eventually made my way out, out the door, and I squashed her hand in the door, and she let go of my hair. And then she said, by the way, your daughter's dead. And when she said that to you, how did she say it? Was she loud? Was she? She was low. She was low. Um, and if you said earlier that she was vague, what did you mean by that? She was what? Vague. What did you mean by that? It, she she wasn't she wasn't good. Okay, but vague sounds like she wasn't definitive. Did no. You, did you sense that it was true? I'm sorry. Repeat that one more time. Sure. When she says your daughter is dead, was she saying that as a strong statement to you, or was it weirder than that? It was even weirder, because I heard it vaguely in, in my ear, because I was dripping blood and I was still dizzy, so I heard it very, very mellow. Okay. And did you believe it when she said it? I did not. I do want to go back to something earlier. As I understood the sequence when Jessica first attacked you, she's attacking you in, her, in, your, in your room. Yeah. Did she ever tell you at that time that your daughter was dead? No. And during this fight, were you really looking around? Did you know where Fabian was? No, I, I saw him at first when she first did it, and then after that, I, I didn't see him. And was he ever helping you, or was he helping Jessica beat you up? I couldn't recall what he was doing. Because she was too busy hitting me, and I was too—I was dripping blood, so I didn't really. Did he appear to be helping you? Did he try to pull Jessica off? Do you remember? I remember he tried to pull her off. 
Okay, he tried to clean it up? Yes, and then she, she went and hit him. Okay, and is that the time he decided he had to get out of the house? Yes, but I didn't know he had left at that time. You didn't know, okay. Do you remember a pause in the fight, or do you think the pause might have been when you were in the room with the door locked? No, the pause was when I was in the room. Okay. So now you've gotten outside, and you've heard what she said, and I, I know you said this already, but the exact words would be helpful. Do you remember the exact words she said to you? She said, by the way, your daughter's dead. By the way? Yes. Uh, and did you think about going back into the apartment? No. And when you got outside, where's Fabian? Did you see him? I didn't see him at first, and I was looking for him, and I, eventually I, I went to go knock on my friend's door, and I heard him say, Michelle, I'm over here, and he was on the phone with the neighbors with the cops. Okay. Um, and did you tell Fabian what Jessica said? Yes, I did. And without saying any words that he said, did you feel like he believed it? No. When did you first know that your daughter was dead, that Victoria was dead? When I got into the jail. Okay. That's when I, that's when it snapped because I was too out of out of it from from being hit in the head. So I was I was in shock. When Michelle Martin's testimony was over, the defense rested, and it was time for closing arguments. The state was up first. They reminded the jury that they weren't there to decide who had murdered Victoria, only that Fabian had knowingly created the situation that led to Victoria's death, and then assisted Jessica Kelly in covering up the crime. And but for Fabian Gonzalez and his actions that day in leaving Victoria in his cousin's care, she would still be alive. Then I either knew Jessica's dangerous or knew something might happen after he made threats and he left her in the apartment. You do not have to agree on who killed her. It's either Jessica or John Doe. Either of them. It doesn't matter. We're not here to determine who killed her or what. The defendant set the stage for her death to occur and he turned her home into a dangerous place. If you agree with the state that he did those things, and those things created the unjustifiable risk of harm, and that Victoria's death or serious harm was foreseeable and a significant cause of her death. The reason anyone was in a position to kill Victoria was because of this defendant. Either way you look at it. In its close, the defense argued that Jessica Kelly and Jessica Kelly alone had murdered Victoria and tried to dispose of the evidence. The attorney pointed out that this unknown man didn't come into the picture until after the DNA was found and that press conference was held, the one we know Jessica Kelly watched. If that had been the case, why wouldn't she have told investigators from the beginning that this man had killed Victoria and she was truly innocent? According to the defense attorney, the simplest explanation was the most accurate one. I wanted to end with one thought, and that's this thing called Occam's Razor. And I first learned about it in a silly sci-fi movie called First Contact, but and I read about it. It's about this monk from the Middle East, Middle Ages, and he was called uh, William of Ockham. And he had this theory, which we all think is a good theory, that if you've got two different hypotheses, you're not sure is it A or B. Generally speaking, the hypothesis.
hypothesis that's simpler, that involves less entities, is probably the correct hypothesis. And here we've got the prosecution theory that we have several criminally insane people. The unknown man who just walks in and strangles her for, for you know, retaliation for something that never happened. Jessica, who's removing body parts and burning Fabian for helping her. Michelle, who knew and didn't tell anybody. Or we have one criminally insane person. It's just Jessica. And with that, the three-week trial was over. But the case wasn't quite in the hands of the jury yet. You see, it was almost close of business on a Friday. So Judge Leos announced the deliberations wouldn't begin until the following Monday. After what seemed like the longest 48 hours for those who love Victoria and the community of Albuquerque, deliberations began after 9 a.m. on Monday, August 1st, 2022. But once deliberations began, there wouldn't be much more waiting because in just under three hours, the verdict was in. Fabian Gonzalez was found guilty on all counts, which included one count of reckless child abuse resulting in death, several evidence tampering charges, as well as a conspiracy charge. It would be about two to three months before Fabian would learn his fate at sentencing. But before Fabian would make it to his court date, his brother Joseph, you remember the one who testified that he and his brothers just like to color coordinate? and absolutely weren't in a gang, and were all model citizens, yeah, that guy, was facing charges of his own. Murder charges. According to KOB4 News, on August 29, 2022, Joseph Gonzalez shot a man three times, killing him near his home on Valverde Drive in South Valley. According to KRQE News 13, the victim was 35-year-old Abner Antillian who was a psychology student at Central New Mexico Community College. In addition to being a student, Abner also worked at the college as a navigator, helping and guiding new students. He was a husband with his first child on the way. According to family and friends who spoke to the outlet, he was looking forward to becoming a father and a baby shower was planned for that weekend. But Abner was gunned down that previous Monday, August 29, 2022. According to the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office, the shooting happened at around 7.30 a.m. that morning. Officials were alerted by Joseph Gonzalez himself after he called 911 to report that he had just shot a man near his residence in self-defense. His story? According to the 911 call, he was out near the front of his home when a Red Scout truck flew past him at a high rate of speed. He yelled at the man in the truck, and the man reversed backwards, and then he and the man argued. He felt threatened, fired a warning shot with his handgun, and then the man began walking back to his truck. He thought to retrieve a handgun, so he shot him three times. According to a criminal complaint obtained by KRQE, once on scene, deputies found Abner lying lifeless in the street and Joseph Gonzalez armed with a handgun. The story Gonzalez told wasn't exactly true, and surveillance video captured the majority of the incident, which does show the truck going by Gonzalez, Joseph yelling something, and then the truck reversing. 
It then shows Abner exit his truck and a verbal argument take place between the two men. Abner moves out of view of the camera and a short time later, a single gunshot is heard. Abner is captured on surveillance video running back to his truck. Gonzalez then fired three more rounds at Abner while his back was turned and he was just trying to make it back to his vehicle. Abner Ancillion was shot three times, once in the chest and twice in the back. And further, he was unarmed. And there were no weapons found in his vehicle. It's hard to claim self-defense when you literally shoot an unarmed man in the back. Gonzalez later refused an interview with deputies about what happened. He was charged with murder and booked in the County Metropolitan Detention Center the following day. According to KRQE, this wasn't Joseph Gonzalez's first run-in with the law. In fact, he had previously been charged with child molestation, domestic violence, and trying to repo a Volvo from the repo man's parking lot and then getting into a fight over it, among other things. It was also reported that the neighbors told the outlet that Joseph wasn't a nice guy and that he had caused problems in the neighborhood since he arrived. Joseph Gonzalez has entered a plea of not guilty and is currently in jail awaiting trial. On October 27, 2022, it was finally time for Fabian Gonzalez to learn his sentence for his role in Victoria's murder. Fabian entered the courtroom wearing a bright shade of DOC orange, and it was about time. Remember, he had been released back in 2019 to await his trial. And speaking of his time on bond, it was revealed in court that while he was awaiting trial, he had found yet another woman to prey on, and this time he had married her. If the new Mrs. Fabian Gonzalez happens to be listening, We've all got a little advice for ya. Run. Anyhow, Fabian was finally, six long years after Victoria's murder, going to receive his sentence. John Martin's Victoria's grandfather appeared via Zoom to address the judge and asked that Fabian got the maximum punishment. His statement was heartbreaking. Mr. Martin's said in part, so Fabian, because of you participating in the death and dismemberment of Victoria, we're no longer going to hear her say, Papa, I love you. Nana, I love you. We won't hear, Papa, Nana, can you take me to gymnastics? Or Papa, I'm 16, can you teach me to drive? How about graduation? There'll be none. Or most of all, Papa, can you walk me down the aisle? So, Your Honor, we ask that you impose the max sentence because Victoria will not get the max out of her life that she should have been entitled to. The maximum term Fabian was facing was 40 years. Judge Cindy Leos combined two of Fabian's tampering with evidence charges that related to the removal of Victoria's body parts and imposed the new max sentence with those charges combined, which was 37 and a half years. Two of the three or four suspects, depending on which story you believe, had now learned their fate. Fabian would serve 37 and a half years and Jessica Kelly had been sentenced to 44, but will be eligible for parole in roughly 20. But what about Michelle? Michelle was scheduled to be sentenced the same day as Fabian, but there was a delay. 
On November 10th, 2022, Michelle Martins appeared via Zoom in front of Judge Cindy Leos. As we already know, in June of 2018, she had pled guilty to a charge of child abuse resulting in death. The prosecution was asking that she be sentenced to 15 years behind bars, but the judge sentenced her to 12 years with credit for the six years she spent in jail while the case made its way through court. The judge also approved a request for 50% time served moving forward, meaning Michelle Martins could be released from prison in as little as three years. Many in the community were outraged, not just at Michelle Martins' sentence, but the sentence of all three. Some still believe all three actively participated in Victoria's murder. Others believe it was Jessica Kelly alone and that due to the deal she made with the prosecution, she literally got away with murder. And some buy into the state's theory and believe there is still an unidentified man walking the streets today that murdered Victoria. And with no one to date being charged with her murder, Victoria Martins still hasn't received the justice she deserves. The little girl who was loved by so many in life and mourned by an entire community in her death. A bright and bubbly girl who invited nearly the entire apartment complex to her birthday party, loved the color purple, gymnastics, and going to church. The loss of Victoria Martins is still felt deeply by the community of Albuquerque today. Victoria's case remains open and investigators urge anyone with information to come forward. If you have any information about the murder of Victoria Martins, please contact the Albuquerque Police Department at 505-242-COPS or the Albuquerque Metro Crime Stoppers at 505-843-STOP or visit them online. You can remain completely anonymous. I'll be sure to post the link and phone numbers in the show notes. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. I really want to hear what y'all think about this case. So head on over to Facebook or Instagram and let's talk about it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.